Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. No, 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 Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped. And today I am massively honoured to be speaking to you about an exciting project for the future, about the past. On the 27th of March, 1871, a special event happened and I don't think anyone involved could have seen the legacy that would still continue today and has brought me some of my happiest times at BT Murrayfield, some very sad times, some times where I have realised exactly what it is like to be a Scottish rugby supporter. Today I'm joined by two very special people who are going to make a dream come true and bring the story to you. Without any further ado, let's bring in our two very special guests today, filmmaker Magnus Wake and historian, journalist and rugby writer, the one and only Mr. Richard Bath. Gentlemen, good morning and welcome. Good morning. morning. What a fantastic opening. We're going to have to live up to that one. That's pretty strong. That's brilliant. Well, if you pull this off, you are going to live up to it because this is something that has really got the juices flowing. Magnus, we'll start with you. One, what's the idea? And two, where did it come from? Uh, so basically, this is the Great Game documentary. It's about the 1871 match where Scotland played England, which was the first time um, we had an international match of that kind at all. Um, and uh, I'm not going to give the ending away, although everybody knows that Scotland obviously won. Um, but the yeah, <laughs> um, but basically, the the idea came from the fact that I live overlooking the actual rugby pitch itself, uh, and. I, 
um, I'm a filmmaker by background, and quite often you're kind of raking around for good ideas for what's going to make a good film. Um, and then I was just looking out the window and I was going, ah, of course, nobody's ever done that. Uh, and so um, I play um, football and a bit of tennis with Richard. Um, so we know each other quite well. And we were in the pub one night when you were allowed to go to such places. And uh, we um, just chatted it through. And it was just like, it was almost like a revelation. It's like, I can't believe nobody's ever done this story because it is an incredible story. Uh, and the, the guys involved in the game um, are remarkable people you know in many ways they're the sort of people that you might go for a run with or you might be playing rugby with or you, you know in in the present day but suddenly they were kind of kind of lifted beyond that by the fact that this match took place and they're just astonishing characters which Richard will describe in much better detail than I will but that's where it all came from a chat in the pub basically I, I can guarantee one thing Magnus these are not the kind of guys I would go for a run with because me and running don't really work so I can I might have played rugby with them but I doubt I would have gone for a run with them but I, I love we, we've spoken before about the best ideas tend to start in places like pubs over over a beer or a shared shandy so I love it Richard uh, contrary to, to some opinion you weren't actually there to report on it <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what does this storytelling mean to you uh, it's just a, it's just a great great yard I mean you, you go back when, once you start looking back at these players you realize they were they were just like us they had the same sort of lives um, and um, but but they came at rugby was different for them it wasn't uh, it wasn't as important. It was just a sort of little bit of their life that actually then just ballooned and blossomed and became this incredibly big thing. They became these trailblazers. Uh, and as we start looking at the, uh, as we started doing all the research on the on the game, uh, just uncovered all these incredible characters who had a massive effect on, you know, they really had a tangible effect on like the world we we live in and places that we walk around in and things that we do every day. Uh, and it's just been just a really good voyage of, uh, of journey, journey of exploration. And Rayburn Place, I've played at Rayburn Place, I've coached at Rayburn Place. I love to walk past the place. Now, at the moment, it's going under a, a facelift, Magnus. How mm. how challenging is that, or does that just add to the storytelling? I think overall it adds to the storytelling. I mean, when you look at the the new development, I mean, you know, there was kind of toing and froing and people in favour and people not in favour. What you've now got all going along the actual main street uh, in Cumley Bank, you know, it's actually a beautiful boulevard now where you've still got the original trees there um, and it's going to be a really nice leafy area where there's actually a bit of space away from the road because that's kind of one thing the area suffers from. It's got a, it's got a busy main road, but there's no, no space. And now you've got these what are quite nice shops and the actual um stand itself um is now looking beautiful it's 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 it kind of sits well within the within the space as somebody that has to look at it all the time literally out the window right now um you know it does look really nice um and it, th there's still a bit of work to be done in terms of where the the, the map the the pitch is going to be placed um within the the context of that stadium but um no i think that adds to the story i mean even just talking about where the pitch is um, because one of the one of the things that we'll get into a little bit in the documentary is, you know, there's there's lots of photographs of um, of the gate of uh, the international rugby being played at Rayburn Place because that's where it was always played uh, in the past before Murrayfield, um, uh, and 
the pitch is always assumed to be in one place, but you know, very recently a new a new piece of contemporary uh, imagery surfaced, which suggests that actually, you know, it was still within the Rayburn Place grounds, but it was in a different section of it. Uh, and you know, for somebody like me who, who is a, a little bit over the top at studying maps and all the rest of it, nothing nothing like putting a spanner in the works by saying, "But I don't think it was there." <laughs> Uh, but you know, it was still on the Raven Place uh, grounds. But there'll, there'll be a bit of debate, which is always good. I mean, the, the whole point of something like this being an exploration is the fact that you do make discoveries. You make discoveries um, about the players uh, and about what their backgrounds were. Um, uh, Alfred Clooney's Ross, who you can, uh, who Richard may well touch on in a minute. Um, I was looking um, at you know census records, and you actually can find out you know where he was living above a shop in Stockbridge. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, the history is actually really a really living bit of Edinburgh as well, because people are now living in those same flats and houses around the city. And of course, a lot of the players didn't just come from Edinburgh, they came from much further afield than that. Um, and so, you know, the, Scotland and England have got a huge connection with what happened there, because it's, it's, it's what led to where we are today. St stealing one of Richard's lines for later. <laughs> it's uh, it's time we got a plaque outside that flat in Stockbridge to say that he lived there. Absolutely. absolutely. That, that is a historical trail I would happily walk around. I love the idea of that. That would be a great idea, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. You could have yeah. these all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not, not just a hat rack, my friend. Not just a yeah, hat yeah. rack. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, the, there's... There's a fashion at the moment of taking a situation and telling almost a dramatic story around it. Now, that's not the purpose of this. This is a documentary. But how important is it to tell the stories of what you've already kind of described them as quite ordinary guys who have ended up doing something that has lasted till now and will last forever? Yeah, I mean, these guys were, um, well, I mean, in terms of the uh, the story, yeah, we'll, we'll do a recreation of the match. Well, uh, so there'll be some sort of dramatic recreation because the actual records of what went on minute by minute are, are sort of fairly sparse. I mean, there's actually been an incredible amount written about the game, um, a lot of it by the players who are in it. Um, so we've got quite a lot of information, but in terms of um, dramatic input, there's, yeah, well, well, there'll certainly be a bit of dramatic license, but but you, you actually don't need to make any of this up because these guys have just got incredible stories. I mean, you know, there are some guys, uh, I write about a lot of sport and uh, main, mainly rugby, but I do other sport as well. And there are some guys that have just always fascinated me. There's a guy called Leslie Balfour Melville. I don't know if you know about him, but he uh, he was 16 at the time of the game and he was supposed to play and he got bitten by a wild dog the uh, couple of days before uh, and couldn't play. Uh, but he went on, he went on to play for Scotland, but he uh, he won the Amateur Open uh, up at St Andrews. He came second in the Open. He played tennis for Scotland. He played. He, he, he was the, he was the guy who was the captain of the cricket team, which beat Australia. It was a it was Scotland's WG Grace, and and there are these amazing characters. I and mean, we've spoken about Alfred Clooney's Ross, um, and I came across him. It's funny you just come across these guys all the time. Um, and Alfred Clooney's Ross, I first came across him when everybody was. Uh, uh, Johannesboro was about to make his debut for Scotland, and everybody was saying it's incredible—the first first player of colour to play for Scotland. This was what, 15 years ago, or whatever. And I sort of did, you know, I was doing some research, and I came across Alfred Clooney's Ross, guy from the Cocos Islands, you know, halfway between Sri Lanka and uh, and Australia, lives on a little atoll, and ends up being involved in the first ever game of uh, of rugby, of Test rugby. I mean, it's just a, a great story, and there are, there are loads of others as well. It's just this sort of roll call of guys who, who've had a massive impact 
and whenever we tell these stories, and one of the things rugby lovers like me and and like you, we love to make out that rugby's for everyone, and it's all these different characters, and you, there's a place for that guy and that guy and and that person as well. Was there anyone that you got hold of and you thought this guy should have been a you know a rock star? He should have been famous. This guy could have been the the Dan Carter because at the moment it was the only show in town, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, the um, I mean, the reason that the, they played a rugby international was because there was no there was no football in Scotland. It was Queens Park, and they were pretty low key. There, there weren't enough players to even play a football international. So rugby was was where it was at. And there was a, a young guy called Robert Bulldog Irvin, who went on to become the first sort of superstar of, of sport, of certainly of Scottish sport. Played against England ten years in a row. Uh, his best mate was Robert Louis Stevenson, and I mean, again, you know, just incredible guy. And um, yeah, so I mean, like I say, the, you know, I don't know if you can get if you can get a rugby superstar. That's, that's what he was back in 1871. I love that his best mate was Robert Louis Stevenson. You can just see <laughs> the two of them, the two of them falling out a taxi on George Street and being snapped by the paparazzi and all over Twitter <laughs> the next day. I absolutely love it, Magnus. The I'm intrigued as to how this is going to go. Now, I played for a charity team called the Crusaders against Ackies in a fixture where we used what we thought were the the laws of the time. Mm -hmm. How do you go about making a game look like it was in 1871? Uh, well, that's a, that's a big challenge to do that. Um, I, I, we, and we're kind of got a balancing act as well because we're trying to go, well, this is the pitch, so it'd be nice to actually play a recreation on the pitch. But of course, that pitch in that area doesn't look anything like it did back in the day. So one thing is um, deciding on the on that approach. Do we want to go down the route of saying this is where we're doing the recreation because this is Edinburgh? And I think that's kind of nice to do that because it, it slightly lets you off the hook a little bit. But at the same time, you can still have um, people wearing, uh, viewing it uh, in the right sort of clothing, in the right uh, garment. So, there's, you know, it actually takes quite a lot of money to pull something like that together. We're actually um, lucky that I think we've just um, sorted out a sponsor for who's actually going to make the, uh, the, the, the uh, outfits that the guys themselves wore. And so they're going to be very tightly looked at and, and, and made sure that they're absolutely accurate. Um, uh, and also, but as you say, even the ball, getting the ball to look like the right ball, suddenly there's a debate for what the ball looked like. Um, and I think it, it's quite clear where the ball was made. Richard, you know where the ball was made, don't you? The, um, yeah. yeah. So so we know where it was made. But again, I, I've yet to see an image. Now, apparently the ball was displayed in a shop window down in Stockbridge yeah. for a few weeks and people gathered around and pressed around that window to see it. Um, but it'd be it'd be amazing to you know see is is there a black and white photograph archive of that sort of event or any other imagery around the rugby game that exists because at the moment it's pretty sparse. I mean, there's photographs you know of Edinburgh of the era, but I've yet to see a photograph of Rayburn Place in 1870. I've got plenty of maps. I've yet to see. Um, uh, anything other than the team shots themselves of the actual um, players around that context. And, you know, this would have been a big event and there would have been photographers of the time and there would have been r other writers of the time. I mean, uh, uh, Richard mentioned Robert Louis Stevenson, you know, did he write letters that were that, you know, that still exists somewhere in somebody's archive? 
say, uh, talking about having been at the game. You would imagine if his best mate's playing, he might well have wandered down because it would have only been about 600 yards from him or something of the sort. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of these historical sources that it would be brilliant to see if anybody else knows anything about. Um, we've had a number of kind of descendants from the original player step forward and actually um, uh, uh, say they've got a diary from uh, their, their their ancestor that played. And that's fantastic because suddenly, you know, it opens up a, a different piece of research that, you know, is, you know, uh, invaluable for rugby, Scottish rugby, but also for international rugby as to how this first game came about. Um, you know, basically there was a game down south, Richard, you, you do the story of the game down south and how that led on to the actual game itself. Because um, again, that's where you bring in not just a Scotland story, but an English story as well. And, and how, it, you know, it's important for both countries and both both fans of, of Scotland and England. Yeah, in 1870, there was a, a game of football at the Oval in London. And uh, what happened was the, um, the English, uh, basically English FA decided they wanted to play somebody and uh, they got a team of uh, a Scotland team and I use you can see me doing Scotland team because they uh, they're a bunch of guys all based in London and a lot of them had very dubious bona fides uh, I'd say there's virtually nobody playing playing football in Scotland so they, they really struggled to find people and there, there are all sorts of stories uh, which we'll go into in the documentary of uh, you know, people having Scotty dogs or going grouse shooting once a year. You know, that, that's all nonsense. Um, and then representing Scotland. Well, and, well um, Richard, the way things are going at the moment, that's tense. that seems to be the link for some boys that are still playing for Scotland. So you, you, you never know. My granny went grouse shooting once. <laughs> oh, you met Budge Pantley. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, and anyway, so so the, the so the, the the guys in Scotland were so fed up and so incensed that this because uh, England won the game as well um, that they um, that they that that was a genesis for the um, for for the the 1871 game and of course it all happened in a pub. Uh, we're trying to track down the pub. They think it was a Cafe Royale, um, but um, so anyway, that's 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 the, that's a genesis for the game and um, and. You know, and 1871, the uh, the rugby game led directly on to the first game of soccer, and then you know, and it it went on from there. And in fact, actually, the um the sort of ramifications, the direct ramifications, are huge. I mean, I was just chatting the other day to um Jim Telfer about about Melrose, and you know, it was the 1871 game that started all of the clubs in the borders. It just sparked this enormous sort of wave of interest, and it wasn't, and it went from being all the guys who played in 1870, they were all. They played on a Monday because none of them had jobs. They were all sort of leisured classes, and um, but that changed really quickly. Then all of a sudden, you had you know farmers in the borders playing. You had you know it became a game for for everybody around Scotland, and uh, it led to sevens. You know, and it just went on and on. Um, I'm delayed you brought in the borders because we can't have anything about rugby without the borders. So, and, uh, and having Jim Telfer involved, you've sold that to millions already just by saying that you've spoken to Creamy. So I'm delighted with that. 4,000 people rocked up, Richard. Were were they just were they out shopping and, and just stumbled on it? Were they intrigued by it? Why 4,000 people? Yeah, it was it was a gate that vastly um, was vastly bigger than anything they expected. They they hoped they hoped for a couple of hundred, and um, there's Lord Kinneborough, I think, was on the um, on the um, on, on the gate, and he had a bowl, and it was a shilling to get in, and it, he had to go for another bowl because the because the the bowl got completely full up with shillings, and it actually made a lot of money, and that was one of the other things you forget. 
Yeah, they actually made quite a lot of money, and it so it's really good for the infrastructure. Really good for obviously they weren't paying the players, but you know, and 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 that was uh, that was one of uh, that again. That was one of the great driving forces for um for 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 the game. But yeah, the people who came along, it's quite funny because you 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 read the accounts of the time, and actually the players were were. You know, there was a quite a sort of nationalistic edge about the uh, about the game. They, they they got it straight away. Patriotic, probably better. They they got it straight away. It was England against Scotland. It was all that that represents. But for the for the for the crowd, they were all sort of middle class Edinburgh folk and didn't shout too much. Didn't you know? So they came down and uh, and they just wanted to see a good game. They were just very curious. And um, but it it really did spark um, you know a, a massive interest. A much wider interest in, in the game. So loads of people who had never ever had anything to do with rugby before became just aficionados overnight. I've got a big silly smile on my face, Richard, because I love listening to the passion that you're speaking with about this. And it just it excites me. And then when I hear you talk so passionately, it just stokes it even more. Magnus, tell me you're going to hold trials for the players in these <laughs> matches because I think you will have a queue all the way up to Princess Street to the gardens and up to the castle of people who would love to be involved in this. Yeah, no, well, absolutely. And I mean, we do want to get people involved in it. That uh, That's why we're kind of almost running the crowdfunding campaign itself is to try and get people uh, more by, uh, involved in it. And uh, we've got chances for people to put their names in the credits. But in terms of in terms of even just doing the match recreation, of course, um, the coronavirus has had an impact on it. You know, we've been Rich and I've been talking about doing this now for over a year, uh, and of course, suddenly you're kind of delayed by it again. I'm just going to see if I can mention crowdfunding again to see whether or not that link appears automatically every time. Oh, that's... <laughs> there we go. Don't, because I'm having to do this and press the buttons at the same time. So please. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, just talking a bit about the crowdfunding, we've already, um, you know, the budget for this is a good sized budget. It's about 120,000 is the budget that we're putting this film together for. It's supposed to be a proper feature length documentary done to a really high standard. So we've been really lucky. We've had money from the GPS McPherson Charitable Trust, the Gordon Brown Memorial Fund. And we've got sponsorship coming in from uh, Famous Grouse and also Bruin Dolphin. So a lot of that money has already been pulled together. but. For the last 20,000 of that budget, we thought, well, to help get us over the line, it would be fantastic to open this up for um, the actual rugby community to get involved with. And we've got about seven days left of the campaign. So now I'm biting my nails because we've still got five grand to get. Um, and uh, so, and what we've tried to do is put some a few things in there that are of interest to people so that Anybody can put in anything they want because anything is absolutely appreciated and it's not the best time to be going and doing crowdfunding at the moment, as everybody can well imagine. But, you know, we've got we've got opportunities for people to put their names in the credits so that, you know, this film is unlikely to get made for another 50 years until we hit the 200th anniversary. So it's a good chance to actually put your name to what is going to be a historical document in its own right one day. Um, and you'll be permanently attached to it. So I think that's quite an exciting thing to be able to do. Um, and then there's there's a few other things as well, like early access streaming links and things like that. Right. Uh, okay, I'm in. And, I'm in. I'm in. You've yeah, sold yeah, me. You've sold me. Hard you've, you've taken the link off the screen again. <laughs> right. No, it's all right. I think I think people are getting the message. Um, but uh, and and then the documentary. Just to talk a bit about what the content of the documentary is going to be. We're obviously going to have. Um, interviews with the you know the current greats of rugby 
but also uh, some of the you know the guys that have been have been around for like 20 30 years preceding as well t- talking to them about what rugby means to them but also why that match was so important we'll be talking to historians about it we'll be talking to uh, some of the descendants as well. Uh, and apart from that, we're going to be doing recreations to try and bring some of these characters to life. Richard always paints this big this picture of, uh, of a guy on a horse uh, riding to Liverpool. And every time he describes it, I'm picturing Richard riding a horse <laughs> <laughs> to Liverpool. So we might need to get Richard on a horse. <laughs> yeah, the, guy, the guy was called Henry Clayton, and uh, he was uh, the average weight for the, uh, for, for the participants of this game was just over 12 stone. And he was over 17 stone, so he was a big old unit. And uh, he, was, uh, he was from Liverpool, and uh, he was a grain dealer. And he used to go out for a run with his uh, a five-mile run every morning with his Newfoundland. So this is this is how he trained for the match for six months. He went out for a run with his Newfoundland. Uh, then he would ride on his horse four miles to work, uh, do 12-hour day, ride back home. And then, uh, but he would he would he would live off uh, his diet was um, strong beer and uh, and raw raw steak. Um, and that, that was what he lived off. Um, for, uh, <laughs> and that's how he got 17 can, stone. <laughs> and you can see that's why I pretty much picture Richard. <laughs> uh, I, I, I reckon I that's... have a Newfoundland, actually. That's got, that's got Jason Leonard written all over it, hasn't it? <laughs> strong, strong beer and raw steak and 17 stone. It's got to be the fun bus. Exactly. <laughs> Richard, have you, have you spoken to anybody who you're impressed by their knowledge of what happened. I, I think we're probably the generation we have just now who have mostly lived through a life of professional rugby and so much has happened in that time. Is there anyone you've spoken to and you thought they've researched, they're interested in rugby, they, they know their history, they've seen how it's developed, or have you brought quite a lot of knowledge to the people you've spoken to? It depends. Some some people have got a real interest. I mean, the um, we did a thing on the um, 150th anniversary um, itself, um, which was it was very curtailed by COVID. But we got Gregor Townsend and Mike Blair down to uh, Raven Place, and we chatted to to um, to Gregor about the about the game itself uh, in 1871. And he knew an incredible amount. He's a real student of the game, so mm-hmm. he would be one person who who really knew quite a lot. And Mike obviously uh, was an Aki, so um, played there. So he. he he knew a lot about it, um, but you know, actually, one of the reasons for doing this is uh, I'm on the advisory board for the Museum for International Rugby, which is going to be built at Raven Place, and um, you know, there's there's an incredible ignorance about the importance of Raven Place that we want to remedy, and so the fact that people don't, a lot of people don't know, even even some of the kids playing there don't really know it's where rugby started off. Um, so that the idea is that well, that we'll change all that um and so some players will know a lot some will know a lot less um you know we'll brief some players beforehand uh, and some of the, the contributors but you know there's there's a real interest in the story it's incredible i mean you know there are also some people whose level of interest is really surprising uh good examples um jk rowling actually wrote a pottermore story uh, yeah. two thousand words long about angus buchanan who was the first you, you know scored the first try in the first international so so, uh, so these surprising sort of little oases of, of, of interest and knowledge. And, uh, you know, the idea is to, to connect those all up and make a big lake of knowledge. 
Yeah, we had we had Kelly Brown on, and he was talking about him and Jim Hamilton and Hoggy being involved in that Pottermore story. We're still we're still trying to get a connection to J.K. Rowling coming on. So if you're able to dish up her phone number <laughs> for a future pod, I'd, I'd really appreciate that. Um, so you've obviously done a lot, and it's it's based at Rayburn Place because we're in Edinburgh, and that's where the game was. But we've we've only really touched on the English team. How easy has it been to go back and? research what happened with the English team? Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it hasn't been, uh, obviously it's still a work in progress, but it, it hasn't been difficult actually. I mean, you know, one of the reasons for that is there's a, a guy called Benjamin Burns, who was the uh, guy who arranged the, uh, the England team. And uh, he was, he was secretary of, um, of Blackheath, who were the biggest club in England at the time. Anyway, he was, uh, he, he's, he's from St. Andrews and went to Edinburgh Academy and just happened to be their secretary. So, uh, so there's an enormous. Yeah, that's not the only reason why there's an enormous amount. But a lot of the English guys who played also went on to to, to write a lot about the uh, about the game. So there, there's an awful lot of stuff there. There's an awful lot of interest as well. Um, I mean, at, at the at the time, most of the English guys didn't even know there was any rugby played in Scotland, um, and they came up expecting to win. Um, and um, you know, so 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 that sort of informs a lot of a lot of the coverage. And yeah, there's there's, there's as much interest down south as as there is up here. The, and we the rugby be, world's we, always small, isn't it? It doesn't matter. Even going back that long, the guy at Blackheath had gone to Aki's and said, uh, the, the rugby world is just this big. It, it, there's always a connection. Well, well, Burns is a really good example, actually. He went off to, uh, he went all around the world, but he went to Cal he went to uh, India to um, to work for the civil service. Um, and he, uh, he was one of the guys at the Calcutta Club, a rugby club, who was there when it was wound up. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And took the decision to donate all the silver rupees in that, you know, to make the Calcutta Cup. Yeah. He then went to um, the South Island of New Zealand and was really important in, in taking rugby there as well. So, you know, these guys, they didn't just do stuff here. They were, I mean, an incredible number of them were sort of missionaries who went uh, to other bits of the world and were, were quite important in, in uh, getting the game going internationally. And I think we're, we're kind of keen to reach this documentary out to an international audience as well. Um, and so, you know, I'd put it out there for other people in other parts of the world that are involved in rugby to get in touch. You know, we would love to get some really big names from other parts of the world talking about what rugby means to them because it's, it's all grown out of this. Uh, and we'll be filming down south in England as well. Now that the restrictions are starting to lift, we'll be able to go down there. And we've got we've got filming that we're intending to do down there to make sure that England gets its proper shout in terms of the, the story as well and get get 
get players on from that side of the border as well. Uh, Magnus, you're no daft. Get in touch with me from anywhere else in the world because I'd like a jaunt to Kolkata, the South Island of New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. You're no, you're no true, daft. No, no flies on you. Magnus, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm a, I love rugby. I, I read about it. Um, I love the stories. I love the way you're talking about, uh, Richard, talking about the characters because that's the bit for me uh, i harp on about this all the time it's build relationships share experiences and make memories that's that's what rugby is now william webb ellis to some is the guy who kicked it off to others he's a fictional character and he was just the name that was plucked this is a this is a factual event this happened there's documentation of it how important is it that you get it wrong because you know someone's going to come along and go, ah, ha, ha, ha. So I, I take it the timeline is to make sure that we've you've got it all set and ready to go. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's a timeline that is still shifting around a little bit because of, uh, of COVID and all the rest of it. But yeah, it, we have to get it absolutely right. And, you know, you know, you, nobody ever gets everything 100% right, but it's got to be 99.9% of the way there. Because, yeah, you know, you're, you're also talking about people's ancestors that they've got a connection with, and you have to be respectful of all of that sort of stuff as well. But ultimately, it's all on Richard's head. He's the expert. If it goes wrong, it's his fault. <laughs> uh, Rich, Richard's got some big, broad shoulders. I'm pretty sure he's going to handle it. Richard, the, the players for the teams, obviously, didn't come from far reaching because the game wasn't far reaching. So is there a part of your job to go and look at the places the players came from? Yeah, of course. I mean, the uh, they actually had two, I mean, in, in Scotland, there were two trials. And so players from all over got um, got a chance to come and play. But, but actually the number of clubs were still, although it was a dominant code, the number of clubs are still relatively small. Um, you know, so organised sport was was still really in its infancy in, 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 you know, in terms of sort of football and rugby and, and those sort of sports. Um, so, so, so yes, we'll, we'll definitely go all around the country, uh, go, to, go to all the places, uh, and we'll go to the places that were affected, as say, you know, down to the green yards to go and talk about places that were affected but by the game. Um, but, yeah, so we'll, we'll go wherever the story takes us. I mean, the idea of the story is that it's a... Uh, it's a voyage of um, of exploration that will take us where the evidence goes, and we'll go and explore the stories that we like, uh, rather than just sort of try and say, you know, this is this this has to go in because it happened. If it's really boring and didn't have ramifications, it's just not going in. Because uh, actually, you think you know, you think an hour is a really long time, but we're going to be cramming a lot of stuff in, and sort of make it feel um, be able to tell the story is actually going to be uh, mean that a lot of a lot of stuff will will be left out. But there's because there's so much. So much to talk about. It's a, it's such a great story. So can we, can right. we not and go I mean, for a six-parter, Magnus? Can we not? Every Thursday night at nine o'clock. Come on. <laughs> serialize. Serialize in a well-known <laughs> podcast near you now. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm with Richard on that. There is so much content to try and cram into this um, uh, and make part of it. I mean, one of the one of the other aspects of this is for the museum in the future um is the film will get played at the museum um and all the content that's being shot whether it actually makes it into the documentary or not is going to be there for being used in the future okay. so you know these interviews will be there so that 
other you know historians or whatever in the future will be able to you know watch those those interviews um and and get access to that content as well so i think that's it's build it's going to build a great archive for the future as well uh, as just this great thing and yeah uh, of course we'll be making sure that uh, all the all the great teams of scotland get their fair mention and in, in what what took part of uh, in creating this uh, this great game. <laughs> just, just make sure there's not too much of bloody Melrose, Richard, would you? <laughs> uh, Mag Magnus, I'm, I'm intrigued to the, the process. Um, what what happens? I mean, you, you could have told me you needed a million pounds and I would have had to believe you. You could have told me you were doing it on £6.50 and I would have had to believe you. I've got, I've got no idea how these things work. So once you finish talking to me, what happens? Well, what happens is we go into effectively uh, kind of uh, a late development stage. I mean, Richard already knows a lot of the content and a lot of the things that he wants to do. Uh, and I'm leaving it to Richard to kind of put together effectively the skeleton of the script. And that will help us define where we're going and who we're speaking to. Uh, and then we'll go and start to shoot it. Um, uh, and that will allow us to actually kind of do it in a slightly more natural way because if we suddenly get something where somebody talks about somebody else or something else gets mentioned that we didn't know about, we've got the flexibility to to move and change shape. Where it's quite a small production company that um, I'm part of, and so we we just will work flexibly around that. But basically, we've got um, a period of scripting, a period of filming the interviews, uh, and then there's going to be like um, probably about four to six weeks of editing. And while we're doing that editing, we'll start to, we'll actually be working on the um, the pre-production for filming the reconstructions and the recreations, because that needs a lot of work as well in terms of costume locations and all the rest of it. And even, and, and casting casting the, the, the actors and stuff like that. And we're wanting to use, um, you know, present day rugby players for the actual recreation that's, that itself. Um, the Aki's are likely to be involved in that. And we'll be talking to other people as well to see how we can make up those teams. We're still in this weird world where, you know, if if you, if you if we didn't have the COVID bubbles and all the rest of it, you could, you know, bring people in from all kinds of places. But the reality is we've got to be a lot more careful of that. But we're hoping to be able to film that uh, kind of halfway through the year um, uh, with everything going well with the, that side of stuff. So, yeah, so we're, we're just we're, and the, the story is supposed to be done through almost through Richard's eyes. So as he discovers things, the audience are discovering things. So he's a presenter. He's leading us through the journey as he's finding out uh, new bits of information as he goes. Richard, so filming the game in the middle of the year, that gives me three months to get down to the average of 12 stone. 12 stone, three, 12 stone three. 12 stone three, right. That that makes it a bit more manageable and achievable. All right, okay. So, yeah, okay. How, how, how that, diet you, starts today. Lose? Well, a fair bit. It sounds like I'm going to have to do the five-mile run, take my horse to work, yeah. and strong, strong, <laughs> strong beer and raw steak. That's um, be a lot of on that horse. <laughs> Richard, of, of the players um, and, and of the day, now the the players arrive through the gate in the bus they get off to the pipes there's their nutrition there's their rubs and their strapping and they're standing for the anthem what did the day feel like for a player well it depends on whether or not you're a scotland player or an england player because the english guys came up overnight on the train and they were absolutely knackered they got about two hours sleep and then uh, and then they turned up at the pitch um, which in England, the pitch was uh, another 75 yards wider. Uh, so 
<laughs> and they had really good backs, so they weren't they weren't that impressed, to be honest. When they I love it. Back. The Scotland coaches were narrow in the pitch already. I love it. Let's exactly. kill the dead ball area. Let's make the dead yeah. ball area smaller. Yeah, I love it. They were doing it. a Matt Williams before Matt Williams has ever thought of. Uh, and yeah, so uh, but but for the for the Scotland guys, I mean the the um, the the um, the accounts of the time just talk of, of a really sort of relaxed, very enjoyable uh, experience. Till they got onto the pitch, and when they were on the pitch, they went over it, sort of hammers, uh, hammer and tongs. I mean, there, there were a couple of guys who who never played rugby again, who were so badly injured by the game. So, I mean, they they, they really go a, a good old go. And and the game was brutal. Absolutely. I mean, they were. I, I mean, you, you talked about the uh, about the laws. I mean, the the, the fact is they they, they took the um, they took. To the uh, the pitch, not really knowing what the laws was, and they were and they spent quite a lot of time arguing about the laws, uh, in particular whether or not you, they would allow hacking, which is basically just kicking each other's shins. Um, and um, the, the referee uh, Healy Hutchison Almond, who was uh, he was a headmaster at Loreto School, and he um, he was very headmasterly. Um, and he 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 just laid down the law, told them what they were all they were going to do. Uh, and in fact, actually, the, one of the best stories of the uh, of the game uh, concerns him because um, when um, when uh, Angus Buchanan scored his um, his try, um, it was the English guys didn't think it had been touched down, and they were they were just going nuts. And um, and Hutchison Hutchison gave gave the try, and his uh, when he was asked later on why he gave it, he said um, that his. Um, his belief was that the uh, the side which complained the most was like was most likely to be in the wrong. <laughs> it was like, like the, do the docking stool philosophy. If you, yeah. if, if, if you don't complain, it's going to be given, and if you do complain, it's definitely going to be given. The class <laughs> classic headmaster, he who denies the most is absolutely yeah. the culprit. Yeah, I love exactly. it. And and that was there will be some people who watch this who maybe be new to rugby or have no idea about rugby at all and love the history of it. The, the game now has laws. Uh, there are many, many grey areas. Let's not get into that one. That's a whole other three-hour podcast. But when they arrived, different laws were played in, or rules as they were at the time, played in different places. So rolling onto a pitch and not all sharing the same laws must have led to the crowd not having a clue what was going on, but also players being in the dark. Uh, yeah, that is for sure. I mean, and actually, this game um, kickstarted the the process of of getting uniform laws. Uh, and in fact, it didn't kickstart it; it led directly to getting uniform laws. Um, and but as for as for the the uh, the spectators, a lot of them hadn't watched any rugby anyway, so they were just along to watch, <laughs> sort of. 40, 40, 20 guys. I mean, because you've got to remember, there were. Um, it, it wasn't like it was now, where f uh, half of the um, the the uh, the team were backs and half were forwards. Um, you know, I, I think it was. Uh, think out of the twenty, I think sixteen were forwards. So there was just a sort of massive scrum that sort of moved around very slowly, uh, with people sort of. It was basically you know, primary kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was exactly. It's just like it was just like sort of P P three rugby. <laughs> I love it, Magnus. Have you? What, what was your interest in in rugby? And are, are you learning a lot through this process? I'm learning a huge amount through this process. I mean, I I look at the documentary as a as a film that's got to be engaging for anybody, whether or not they love rugby or not. Um, I I mean, I've always watched rugby, but I'm I'm very much a part time rugby watcher. Um, and so 
uh, Richard is always uh, is always saying to me a name of somebody, and he goes, "You don't know who that is, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, "No." Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, part of it for me, it's very, it's really exciting because I'm learning a huge amount about rugby. I mean, learning about a huge amount about um, kind of my local history as well. Um, but I think I think that's what is fascinating about this is because it's actually at a time where uh, nobody in the audience really knows anything about this game. So it doesn't matter whether you love rugby or not. It's just this thing that happened in 1871. There's a bunch of emotions that pretty much everybody can associate with. Um, and from the back of that, um, there's the, the audience itself, whether you're a football fan, a cricket fan, a rugby fan, or whether you like a bit of history or just want to know a bit more about Scotland and England and that rivalry, then, you know, it's, 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 it's a fantastically... Um, interesting piece of piece of history from that point of view um but yeah i know uh much less about rugby than richard which is why we have the man himself there i love i love that you're talking about the emotion how i i love ian rankin novels i love his, mm-hmm. his rebus novels and part of my love of that is that it's in a place i know it's in edinburgh i can picture the meadows i can picture arden street I, I know all these places and i can try to imagine what's going on how important is rayburn place and edinburgh to the telling of this story i it to me for for me you know i would definitely put it maybe like if in percentage terms like 40 percent of the story i think a lot of the story happens in other places a lot of the individuals are coming from other places um a lot of the other teams that actually you know the uh, what was the, the five guys that were part of the the actual challenge as well you know they came all from different places as well so i think there's a lot of the story that doesn't happen in edinburgh yes edinburgh is going to be very much a focal point for it but i you know i you know it, it happens all over richard would you agree with that yeah, I would, I would say a bit more like 60%, to be honest. I mean, uh, you know, oh, well, we're going to have a fight. We're going to have a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me get all headmaster. <laughs> He's protesting but, too much. But, you know, but, but the incred- some of the incredible stuff is, you know, about doing about doing a lot of the filming in Edinburgh. Uh, I mean, obviously, Raven Place has, has, ch- has changed in the sense you've got this new big stand and the old clubhouse isn't there. And there wasn't a clubhouse there at the time anyway. And you don't know whether, you know, but a lot of the stuff is still the same. And we were looking at some of the views. There's an old farmhouse up on the uh, uh, up on uh, basically in Inverleith Park, up by the bowling green there. That was that was there at the time. You know, it was actually a farm. And um, you know, so a lot of the stuff is 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 there. Was already had been there for you know a hundred years already. The the whole new town and Stockbridge was was it was all a lot of it was already there. You know, so and so you, you you're walking down the same streets of these guys um, that walk down. You're living. You're living Edinburgh through their eyes, and I always remember uh, uh, I did a book years ago uh, with a guy called uh, Tommy McPherson, who was at the time Britain's most decorated war veteran, and uh, his he was a younger brother of uh, GPS McPherson, and he had all these photos from his youth of um, sitting. He he lived in a house on East Fetters Avenue, the last one before in Belief Park, you know, the big um, um, detached one, and he, his brother GPS McPherson, who's Possibly the best ever player to play for Scotland was sitting with at the piano with uh, with Eric Little, um, just doing you know having a, having a sing sing song at nights with, you know, so there's all this incredible history in Edinburgh that just sort of sort of seeps out of the pores of the buildings and you know it's just there for us to to tell stories with. 
Magnus, I, I'm intrigued. How do you tell a story from 1871? Anybody who's ever been anywhere near Stockbridge or Comley Bank, there are cars on top of cars. How, <laughs> how, how, do, you, how do you go about doing that? Um, well, I mean, I, this is this is supposed to be through the, the eyes of Richard in the present day, if you like. Uh, so that that's quite handy. That's quite handy. I mean, when we want to, we, we are going to have to look at how do we get the, the city to, to look similar in many ways, because it would be absolutely brilliant to have some, you know, nice CGI recreations of it. And that's about dividing up the budget sensibly and trying to squeeze out some CGI to actually do some nice stuff with the city and actually show what it looked like. But a lot of the city, as Richard says, hasn't really changed. I mean, if you go past um, where the Rayburn Place is, you know, a lot of that was just open parkland at the time. There wasn't a lot of buildings actually past the ground. The ground was almost the last kind of major feature before you went into big open parkland. Um, but everything looking in towards the city centre was was pretty much there. The whole of the new town was already there. Um, so, I mean, I think I think we will be able to put it in the context. And, you know, this, there are some great historical records to draw from. But if anybody's got any photographs, that are hiding away in any old albums at all. So we don't see, because yeah, I, I mean, part of my, my fascination with this is to pull stuff out that has never been seen before in archives. Uh, and you just never know where it might come from. Richard, uh, I think there's there's lots of things. To me, this is becoming a perfect storm. Rayburn Place, Reed Velvet, this, this film, the, the anniversary, there's a to, to this moment now the part of the frustration i think of the recent history of rayburn places it wasn't a spectacular place to visit uh, you know the the changing rooms were the port of cabins the you know it, it just there was redevelopment going on is this now time for a, a big grand event to say this is a point of real interest yeah, I mean the, the the whole point of doing this um, doing this film is um, for the Raven Place charity, Raven Place Foundation charity uh, foundation, uh, and the the point is to establish um, to remind people that this is the cradle of the game and this is a really important place. Uh, you know, a lot, I mean, over ten million quid's already been spent redeveloping the ground, and there's a lot more to come. Um, and it, you know, this should be um, this shouldn't be a a resource just for Aki's. It should be a resource for the whole city. I mean, it's it's an incredibly important place. I mean, it, you know, we, we we sort of forget how lucky we are. I mean, I live on Leith Links, and we've just put up a, as a bronze statue up to um, Rattray, who was the first uh, guy who made the, the rules of, of golf. That's a, that's the first place that golf was ever ever played in the, in the world. And nobody, if there wasn't a statue there, nobody would know it. And like I say, I mean, I, 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 you know, I coached uh, minis down at, uh, at Ray Belay's. Both my boys played down there. And, um, you know, but the, the, the number of people who, who know about that history is, is, is tiny. And that's really what this is all about. It's about changing that. It's about reestablishing the place, giving the place its, re, its due importance. Um, you know, we're doing that with the. I was say we. That is being done with the um, with the, with the with the new clubhouse, and then we'll have the Museum of International Rugby, and it it'll make it a place. You know, and we'll have all weather pitches. You know, bats is the uh, the junior section at uh, at Raven Place is for, is for the whole city. Anybody can come and play, uh, and 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 actually, that's that's now happening. So you know, it's drawing kids from all over the city, uh, and it, it's it's just great to be able to re 
be a part of the rejuvenation regeneration of something that's actually really important and is is living history absolutely i i love murrayfield it's a place i could sit and watch the grass grow but i i love going past rayburn place i love walking through inverleith park and just looking down on it and i could be there for a long time i get a hard time for my wife because <laughs> what are you doing but th these these places are meaningful because they're although Obviously, I wasn't there, but and I've never played for Aki, but I've been and just knowing that that was where a seed was planted that has become this unbelievable runaway weed to some, but beautiful blooming thing to me. Um, I I just love this game, and I'm forward to to you telling these stories, Richard. I'll come to you as we begin to wrap up. What is it that most excites you about this project? It's just going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be about telling stories about people who, who, whose story deserves to be told, about people who've had a massive impact on on what we do, uh, and it's about it's about a voyage. As I keep using that word, a voyage, but it's what it is: is a voyage of discovery. To uh, for me to learn all about this, so I can present it to 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 everybody else, and so everybody else can feel the um, the 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 passion and enjoyment that I feel about Raven Place, and that everybody else can share that. I love it. And it all started with a challenge in a magazine. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I, I, we've lost him <laughs> exactly at that moment. But yeah, no, absolutely. It totally did. And Magnus, the, the excitement for you as a, as a creative guy who has made films before, what is it that, that makes this get you excited? Um, I think for me, the, it's actually looking at the kind of the, I suppose, almost the nooks and crannies of it. I mean, I'm really excited to be getting out on the road. As you can imagine, anybody getting to go anywhere at the moment is, is very excited. But it's, it's, it's digging into the history, finding out these little places where things of importance happened and, uh, and, and starting to kind of meet some of these characters that Richard describes. I think that that's going to be really exciting. Uh, and, and just seeing some of the places, you know, it's, it's, um, I've been. I'm very lucky as a filmmaker to be able to get around um, lots of different places and go into people's businesses and see all kinds of things, and it actually helps you understand how the world works. And this is understanding how the world worked in 1870 and what the world was like in 1870. And it's in some ways, you know, they're just people, but in other ways, the world's completely different. So I think that will be fascinating. I love it. And the Great Game documentary is on social media. Uh, I, I will share the, the living daylights out of that to, to try and Thank build you. the coverage. We, we've got the crowdfunder link on the screen for those who are watching, and, and we'll put that in the information for the podcast so that people can get involved and get more information. Gentlemen, I, I've absolutely loved spending this time with you. I am very excited by this project, but because I know it's happening, I want it to be ready tomorrow, please. So <laughs> is there, are you able to give us, Magnus, I know this is a, a difficult thing, but are you able to give us a timeline? We're, we're hoping to have um, it by the end of August, sometime in September. That's, that's kind of the, that's the, our target internally, if you like. And that will be when we hope to have some screenings. I mean, follow us on social media. We'll be trying to put some stuff out on social media as well. So people uh, can get a glimpse into what's going on as well and seeing what we're up to as well. Cause yeah, no, I, it's one of those ones you want to get out there as quickly as you can, but yeah, it's just a long process in itself. So. Richard, what, what do you hope that the, this game was a legacy or, or started something that's become a legacy? This is 
probably the first of the the storytelling of that. What what do you hope the future is after this documentary is is seen and enjoyed? Um, the future. Well, I, I hope uh, in terms of Raven Place, I hope the place continues to get um, uh, developed and that it's used as to the absolute maximum. Um, and in terms of in terms of the the documentary itself, I mean, I hope it sort of t- fills in a lot of blanks for people and it tells them what, where it all began, uh, gives them sort of sense of you know uh, of, of where it all came from. I I genuinely feel, Richard, this is going to be a spark. I think this is going to be something that makes people want to know the history of the next game and and what happened and when did the Calcutta Cup and why did we move to Murrayfield? So, Magnus, uh, get your thinking cap on because I reckon there's a series coming. I reckon these these monumental moments that that Scotland, I think we should be proud to, to shout and scream that we were we were part of this, and I think there are lots of stories to tell, and I've no doubt there are been errors along the way, Richard, of things that we maybe can't be too proud of. But I think there are a huge number of things we should be shouting from the rooftops. Yeah, I can agree more. Gentlemen, an absolute honour to have you on. I am very excited by this. I look forward to seeing it and speaking to you again, and hopefully you'll be able to come back again in future and tell us about progress or what to expect and Absolutely. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start training Richard for both the performance and the red carpet <laughs> <laughs> cheers brilliant to speak to you both thank you very very much alright thanks cheers well uh, the stage is set almost literally they are on the way if you are able to and you want to be involved and have your name on the credits get involved on the crowdfunding link there's lots of information on their social media and i will also share that on happiness is egg shaped another pod to make me smile and get me excited and make me feel very positive for the future we are building relationships we are sharing experiences and we're making memories and you're probably getting sick and tired of hearing that but if you're not give us a follow on ACAST, spotify and apple subscribe and if you enjoyed it please leave a review my name is bruce Aitchison from the happiness is podcast and my happiness is egg-shaped i look forward to speaking to you again soon hello i'm may Hello, I'm Chaos, and, and our, our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped, loves a circle with no end. Let's talk about this blessing, and he said happiness is egg-shaped. Great, um, happiness is egg-shaped, and loves a circle with no Happiness is egg-shaped, and loves a circle with no end. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.